You know where the largest building in the world is? No, it's not the Pentagon. It used to be. And you know, even bigger than the Pentagon, what do you call the house of the president in Romania? It used to be that big house. Pastor Ross and I went to that house. That thing is enormous. That was built by the, but it's, it's in China. And there's actually two definitions. It's the New Century Global Center. It is a mall in Chengdu, China, opened in 2013. It's the home to businesses, offices, hotels, movie theaters, a mega shopping mall. There's a picture of it on the screen. The 18 million square foot colossus is capable of housing 20 Sydney opera houses. It's almost three times as big as the Pentagon. It has an artificial beach, a Mediterranean village, a wave pool, a skating rink, and much, much more. Now that's the biggest in square footage floor space as far as volume. The biggest building in the world is in North America. It is the Boeing factory in Everett, Washington. It's the largest building by volume. Uh, it's the place where they make the 747, 767, 777, 787 Dreamliner aircraft. The building is nearly 100 acres. It contains 472 million square feet, big enough you can put all of Disneyland inside. I've driven by and seen it before. Those are some big buildings. Now, keep in mind, you cannot imagine the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. And Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. So think big. Now, we need buildings. We do so much with buildings. We need hospitals for healing, factories for manufacturing, schools for teaching, homes and apartments for living, prisons for jailing, warehouses for storing, retail stores for selling, banks for investing. We need hotels when we travel. Someday we may need a mortuary. It's all different kinds of buildings. And while some people believe that in heaven buildings will not be necessary anymore, that we're all going to float on vaporous clouds and play harps and everything is going to be ethereal and non-tangible, that's not what the Bible teaches. Did you know Isaiah says that in the new earth we will build houses and inhabit them? So that's one occupation besides pastoring that goes on into the next world. There will be building. Matter of fact, Jesus is a builder. What was Jesus' natural occupation? He's a carpenter. And he came to build a house. You and I are the house that Jesus built. 2 Samuel 7 verse 12. David was sitting in the temple and he's pondering, wanting to build an ark, a house for the ark of God, a, a temple. He knew that the, the Philistines and the Ammonites, Moabites, they all had temples to honor their God. And, you know, after the wilderness, several hundred years, the tent that had been built in the wilderness to house the ark of the Lord it was tattered and deteriorated and gone. And they really had no place for the presence of God. And God put on David's heart to build this building. And it was his life dream. And while he's thinking about that, Nathan the prophet comes to him and he says, look, you're not going to build it because actually you're a bloody man. You've not only shed a lot of blood in war, but you're guilty of killing an innocent man. And, but your son, he'll build the house for me. And this is what the prophet said to David. When your days be fulfilled and you sleep with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who shall proceed from your bowels 
and I will establish his kingdom. He will build me a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, who was the son of David that was to build the house? Well, the physical house was to be built by Solomon, but Jesus had another son. I'm sorry, David had another son. The Bible, I gave it away. The Bible says that Jesus was the son of David, and he came to build a house. Now, Christ said that by his own words. When Jesus was preaching, John chapter 2, verse 18, the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, in three days I'll raise it up. I thought he's talking about the temple that, that was right beside them there. And the Jews said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Now he was saying that because not only was his body temple to be raised up in three days, but what is the body of Christ today? Know you not that you are the temple of God? The church is called the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ. You are a temple. Peter says, we are living stones built on the foundation of Jesus. Christ again says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place. Jesus is a builder. In fact, you know, there's a building in heaven right now. You can read in Hebrews 8.5, the earthly temple was a shadow of the heavenly temple. Read in Revelation 11:19. Then the temple of God was open in heaven. So yeah, Jesus is a builder. And uh, he's working on us too and building us internally and spiritually. Now, you'll notice that when we talk about these biblical buildings, spiritual buildings, the wise man builds his house on the rock, right? What is the rock? Teachings of Jesus. And then we just read in our scripture reading, that everyone's work that they're building on is going to be tested by fire. That we're all involved in building something with our lives. These are kind of spiritual buildings. All those buildings will be tested. In the story of the wise man who builds on a rock, it says the rain descends and the flood came. It's amazing. Look at the flood raging around that building. It is incredible that the building is still there. I guess that it has a good foundation. The foundation is tested by flood and the substance is tested by fire. Did you notice that when we read there in 1 Corinthians 3? Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test everyone's work of what sort it is. So we want to build carefully. Amen? Whatever you're building, your life, your legacy, it's going to be tested by fire and flood. It's interesting, the world was once destroyed by flood, and before Jesus comes, it's going to be destroyed again by fire. Fire and rain. Elijah prayed, fire came down, he prayed again, rain came down. It's talking about being baptized in the water and baptized in the Spirit. Something else I noticed as I was thinking about buildings is whenever God's people were going through a time of revival biblically, they were building. Look, for instance, first thing they do, God saves the nation from slavery, brings them to Mount Sinai. He said, you guys can't go right into the promised land because I got a building project in mind. They build right out there in the desert. They start building a tabernacle. Soon as they get into the promised land and David's kingdom is established, they start to build. David actually builds. He builds a palace. He builds up the city. Solomon builds the temple. He builds another palace. He builds fortresses everywhere. Do you notice 
Solomon's reign is divided in two sets of 20. The first 20 years when Solomon loved the Lord and he was close to the Lord, he was building. When he stopped his main building projects, he slid spiritually. So one way to stay out of trouble is what? Build something. <laughs> well, I don't know if I could support that completely because Herod the Great was a, quite a builder and he was a terrible guy. But I noticed that, well, let me give you some other examples. Second Chronicles 26 verse 4, and he, King Isaiah, did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Isaiah, good king, right? According to what his father Amaziah had done. And Isaiah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and the valley gate and a corner buttress on the wall. He fortified them. He built towers in the desert. He dug many wells because he loved farming. You go to 2 Chronicles 32.5 talking about Hezekiah. Good king or bad king? Good king Hezekiah strengthened himself and built up all the wall that was broken down and raised up the towers and built a wall outside. He repaired the citadel in the city of David, the fortress. Elisha, sons of the prophets, he says, let's build an AFCO program. So they built a building there by the Jordan River. Ezra, building. Nehemiah, building. They often were building during these times of revival because it's, you know, where there's no vision, the people perish. Um, have you ever heard uh, the expression uh, about a self-fulfilling prophecy? You know, I think that um, there's some truth to that. I know about a pastor that uh, he was doing mission work in uh, <clears throat> Africa, some one of the early missionaries. As a matter of fact, I think it was Robert Moffat and his wife. They're there in uh, South Africa and uh, they struggled for years before they had their first baptism. And in one of their early letters they said, please send a communion set so we can celebrate communion with these people. And the mission board, they sent the set and they said, we don't know why you need this. You told us you hadn't had any converts yet. He said, no, but if you send the communion set, I'll have, the Lord will have to give me some converts to use it or something to that effect. And then he started getting converts. He just said, in faith, I believe. So they often were building and God seemed to bless them spiritually. Now, this gets into some of the, the tangible aspects of what we're going to talk about today. You know, our church is involved in a major building program right now. And uh, we're not just building a church. I think we're building something that I'm hoping and praying is going to be much more. Not only very important ministry to our community locally, to the Sacramento area, but even beyond around the world. And this is something that the Lord put on my heart. You know, I was thinking about it, Karen. I knew where Karen would be sitting. Um, it's been 20 years. Karen said at least. Because I remember we were five years at Sacramento Central. The Lord was blessing. The church was growing. I did the math. Uh, I'm not very good at math, but I was able to extrapolate enough to say, wow, if we keep growing at this rate, we're going to run out of room. Or what you do with the church. You've heard of the 80-20 rule? A church will typically fill to 80% of its seating capacity and it begins to stabilize there because people don't like coming where they don't feel like they have room. And bless your hearts, you know, it's a pretty full day today. Um, and so I said, we need to build. And I started thinking about this 20 years ago. And then it's been 12, 13 years ago, Pastor Ross and I were talking. I said, you know, we probably need to plant a church congregation in this new territory of Granite Bay because we had no church there. 
And in anticipation, I thought, oh, building, it'll only take a couple of years. Ha! <laughs> See, the Lord didn't want me to know how long, how hard this would be because I would have said, no, Lord, someone else. <laughs> I hope I wouldn't have said that, but I, I would have been tempted. Uh, you ever take on a project that God put on your heart and if you'd only known, you would have thought twice? But he, uh, he sometimes doesn't tell us everything at once. So we won't be discouraged. So how did they build? Now look at this. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they built by inviting the people. It's something that everybody was part of. Let me read to you from Exodus 35, verse 4. And Moses spoke to all the congregation. God gave him some instructions. They were to build a tabernacle in the wilderness, saying, this is the thing the Lord commanded, saying, take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart. What's one criteria? If you're not willing, don't come. Don't do it. Everyone who is of a willing heart, let him bring, as it is an offering to the Lord, gold or silver or bronze, whatever the material might be. Then you jump to verse 20. I'm in Exodus 35. And all the congregation of the children of Israel, they departed from the presence of Moses. And then everyone came whose heart was stirred. It's got to be from the heart. You've got to be willing. Everybody whose spirit was willing. And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, for all the holy garments, whatever they needed. And they came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart. And they brought earrings and nose rings, and these are the things they got from payment from the Egyptians as money. Rings and necklaces and jewelry of gold. And every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord, God asked them, to give. Now all of us should be giving of our time, our talents, and our treasure to the Lord. And know what happened? They were so willing. I'm praying that we have this problem. I don't anticipate it, but I'm praying. It's and then all the craftsmen, you go to verse 4 and 5 of Exodus 36, all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary, they came and they spoke to Moses. They said, the people bring too much. More than enough. Tell them to stop. Lord, send the day where the pastors have to beg the people to stop giving. Just, we can't handle it anymore. <laughs> I want to show you something else here. Go with me. Not only was this the case when they were building in the wilderness, but this is what David did before he passed away for the building. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I've marked it in my Bible. Some of you might be wondering, <laughs> what happened to Pastor Doug's Bible? Didn't I tell you about this? I was in Spain. My Bible, this is a new Bible, my Bible came with one red ribbon. And when I was in Spain with Karen, oh, a couple months ago, and this sweet little Spanish grandma came up to me and she said, come here, come. she said, give me your Bible. I'm going, I don't know, it's a new Bible. <laughs> no, no, give me, give me. And she's insisting I give her my Bible. So I gave her my Bible, respect your elders. She took my Bible and she pulled something out of her purse and she opened my Bible so it kind of opened up the back spine and she had all these ribbons and she a cardboard thing and she stuck it in there and she gave it back to me. And it was so sweet. I didn't have the heart to take it out. But now my Bible looks like it's festooned like a pinata all the time because I've got all these different... Anyway, that's the story. So this is my pinata Bible. So go with me to First Chronicles chapter 29. And uh, here they're building what was the greatest building that had ever been built. It's at a time of the economy, let's just say, was doing really well at the end of David's reign. He'd conquered all the other nations. Whenever they conquered them, they then taxed them, not to mention they often looted the army. 
And so they're doing well financially, but they didn't want to just get rich. They thought, you know, God's blessed us for a reason. So you look here in 1 Chronicles 29. Furthermore, David the king said to all the assembly, my son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, he said that because some of David's other sons thought, well, no, I thought I was chosen. My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young. He's inexperienced, and the work is great because the temple is not for man, but for God. Now for the house of my God, I have prepared with all of my might. How did David give? The way he did everything. If David sang, if he danced, whatever he did, he did with all his might. I have prepared with all my might gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver, bronze for the things of bronze and iron for the things of iron, wood for the things of wood, onyx stones, stones beset, glistening stones. And he goes on. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God. Now why was this so important to David? Why was he praying about it? Why was he saving? He was drawing plans. He was preparing. Because he wanted there to be a monument that would bring glory to God and the proclamation of his word where people would find the sacrifice and salvation because he loved God. Does anyone deny David loved God? David, God said, is a man after my own heart. So he prepared with all of his heart over and above what I prepared for my holy house, and my own special treasure I've given of the Lord, not just the things that have come from the taxes. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir. He gave the very best. 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the house. You know, by the way, friends, we're not building a gold and silver church. I just wanted you to know that. But this is what they did. It was one of the wonders of the world when they got done. Then David asks the people that are listening, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Then the leaders of the fathers, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and hundreds, with the officers over the king's work, they offered willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and gold and silver and bronze, and I'm not going to itemize stones and everything they gave. And it says that when they gave, the people rejoiced, verse 9. The people rejoiced for they had offered willingly. Now, do we find joy when we give? Doesn't the Bible say we should give cheerfully? And there's a blessing in doing that? The people were rejoicing that they were able to give like that. And so this is a principle of how they were able to build. You know, uh, for years in England and Rome, the churches were built by taxing the people. This is what Martin Luther rebelled against. They were selling indulgences and they were drawing, the English drew a tax from the people for maintenance of their churches. There's a lot of empty churches, Lutheran churches in Germany. No one goes, but they're sustained by tax. And this was not God's plan. It was to be given willingly. You know, you can read in the book Patriarchs and Prophets, page 526. The tabernacle and afterward the temple were erected wholly by free will offerings and to provide for the necessary repairs and other expenses. Moses directed that as often as the people were numbered, each should contribute half a shekel for the service of the tabernacle. In the time of Nehemiah, a contribution was made yearly for this purpose. So the people willingly were giving tabernacle, Solomon's temple, Nehemiah's temple. They were always built by the people. And it says they rejoiced for they given willingly. You know, the Bible talks about a rich man and Jesus said, look, if you'll make a sacrifice and follow me, you'll have treasure in heaven. 
he did not give and he went away sad. Isn't that what it says? He didn't want to do it because he had great possession and he clung to his possessions and he went away grieved. Now, don't misunderstand, but I've got to teach you the Bible and some of this may seem heavy, especially if you're visiting. Some of you come to church, you know, New Year's and Christmas and, and uh, you might think, boy, here I come to church, you're asking for money. But uh, I've got to tell you what the Bible says. If you, do you know the Bible tells us that God curses greed? I want you to go with me to Haggai chapter 2. a matter of fact, um, you could even start, uh, I'm going to read Haggai chapter 1, just go to verse 2, and it tells us, the word of the Lord came to Haggai saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says the time has not come to build the Lord's house. Some people have actually said, Pastor Doug, world's about to end, why are we building a, a church? And I said, well, before God destroyed the world in the days of Noah, he told Noah to get involved in a very big building program. And are you aware that all of you are here today because of that building program? If it wasn't for Noah's building program, you would not be here. And I don't know how long until the Lord comes, but he said, occupy till I come. I think we need to be ready to die every day, but we need to plan for a thousand years. So we're building. Some people say, it's not time. They had that problem back then. It's not time to build the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? <laughs> I don't hear too many Christians saying, you know, Jesus is coming as soon. I'm going to let my house go to pot. While the temple lies in ruins, they had started building, but they had left it off. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. You've sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but nobody's warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it in a bag with holes. You ever felt that way before? Seems like you just can't get ahead. And he's saying, you know, there could be a connection in your priorities. Where is the house of God in your priorities? If you're saying, oh, well, you know, first got to take care of myself and how many of you remember the story of a woman who came to the house of God and she gave her last two mites? Now, I'm not suggesting you do that today. I'm just telling you it's in the Bible. And Jesus says that woman is going to be blessed. I'm sure he provided for her. You know, in this building project we're involved in, we'll show you some pictures in a little bit. Uh, we came together as a church family. We kind of launched a capital campaign. We made a commitment, $3.5 The lion's share is being provided by Amazing Facts. But we, this is half of what's being built up there is going to be a sanctuary that will be our home. And I praise the Lord for the commitments we have. But we're not quite halfway. The building's not done yet either. And you'll be excited to know we still have an opportunity for you to give because we don't have all the money. <laughs> so in case some of you thought, oh, I wanted to help. It's too late now. Good news. It is not too late. You probably gathered that from the message. Consider your ways, Haggai says. I'm in verse 7. Go to the mountains, bring wood, build the temple that I might take pleasure in it and be glorified. Notice again, it says something about the glory of God. You look for much, indeed it came to little, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why says, you ever felt like you've been blown away? I blew it away. Why says the Lord of hosts, here's, here's the Here's the bottom line. 
because my house is in ruins why every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains and the grain and the new wine and the oil and whatever the ground brought forth on the men and the livestock on the labor of their hands. Well that's about as plain as it gets. He said, look, you want me to bless your house? You want me to bless what you're doing? How do you feel about what I'm doing and bringing me glory? God says. So it's pretty clear that there's a curse that comes on greed. All you've got to do is remember what the Bible says about Achan. You know, the money that Achan stole was supposed to go for the house of God. He stole it. He was stoned. Judas hung himself. Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. Gehazi got leprosy. Nabal had a stroke and died. And the greedy farmer in the parable died in his sleep unexpectedly. Um, you go through the greedy people in the Bible, it doesn't end well. God blesses generosity. He curses greed. Proverbs 11:24. There is that scatters and yet increases and there is wi that withholds more than is meat and it tends to poverty. What does that mean? Some people when they cast away seed, it increases and it grows. When they hoard, it gets moldy and you lose it. There's a principle in life that as we share, God has a way when we open one hand in giving of filling the other hand. Have you ever had that experience? Well, I'm not going to leave you there. Of course it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, He that sows sparingly reaps sparingly. Well, how do you want to reap? Abundantly or sparingly? Now, here's the good part. God blesses generosity. Back to the book of Haggai. The people listened to the prophet for a change. And what happened? They started to build. And Haggai says in chapter 2 verse 18, Consider now from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, he gave him a day, from the day that the foundation of the temple was laid. Consider, I want you to notice, is the seed still in the barn? And yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olives have not yet yielded fruit. But I want you to notice, from this day I will bless you. See, when we give our hearts willingly, God then has everything else. And when we're giving of our substance, you realize you can't take any of that with you. Jesus said that when you're giving your substance, in a sense, you're storing treasure in heaven. He blesses generosity. When the people gave in the days of Solomon and David, it says Solomon sat on the throne as king and he prospered. Ecclesiastes 11.1, 1, Solomon wrote, cast your bread on the water and it will come back to you. And you of course know Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there might be food in my house and try me, test me now in this, says the Lord. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing, there is not room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer, things that devour your resources and your income. I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake, says the Lord. Your vine will not fail to bear fruit. He says, um, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall your vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. All nations will call you blessed. You will be a delightful land. Now was that just a promise for them back there or is it still a promise for us today? Does God promise to bless those that are faithful? If we sow bountifully, we will reap bountifully. God loves a cheerful giver. This is 2 Corinthians 9. 
And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, always having all sufficiency in all things that you might have an abundance for every good work. So we're building now. And I don't think we want to give God the leftovers in what we're building. Now, while we're in the process of building, keep in mind, this is something that is to be built for God's glory. And you want the best for God. First Chronicles 22.5, now David said, Solomon, my son is young, inexperienced. I just read this to you, but did you catch the part where he said, the Lord's house must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. You want something that is going to be representative of the God that we serve. Uh, you know, sometimes people think, well, aren't we supposed to show we're Christians by meeting in a cardboard box? That's our humility. Yeah, sometimes I run into people that have that attitude. I don't think you should be ostentatious, but you shouldn't do anything that is going to also bring reproach on the name of God. Let me read you a quote from the book uh, Evangelism, page 377. There have been times when it seemed necessary to worship God in very humble places. Those of you who have been part of the Granite Bay Church for years, met in homes, in schools, elementary schools, in rented churches, a couple times in parks, but the Lord did not withhold His Spirit or refuse His presence because of this. It was the best people could do for the time. If they worshiped Him in spirit and truth, He never reproved or condemned their efforts. But the Lord has blessed us with means, and we now expend those means in making how our houses attractive, in planning and executing to please and to honor and glorify ourselves. If we're content to thus leave the Lord out of our plans to worship Him in a much poorer and more inconvenient place than we're willing to live in ourselves, if I say our selfish purposes are not thus made supreme, and God in His worship secondary, he will not bestow on us our blessing. That's pretty clear. She said, yeah, you might need to meet in a humble place, and we've done that, and praise the Lord, he's blessed. But then when we're in a position to do something for God's glory, it should be done in quality. Have you seen that? Let me read something to you here. While not one penny should be expended unnecessarily in the erection of this church building, no second-class work should be done. Now, if you're not doing second or third class, what are you talking about? You want first class. You want first class work. Someone once said the uh, smallest room in the world is a mushroom. I learned that from Cracker Jacks. <laughs> and the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. Now, the Lord is blessing, but do we have room for improvement? You know, we've been given counsel in the last days that we're to have our institutions for healing and publishing outside the cities, but it says in the cities, I'm reading from the book Reflecting Christ 241, we are to erect memorials for God. We're, we've got the best of both worlds. We're right on the outskirts of a city. From the book Christian Living, page 31, repeatedly the Lord has instructed us to work the cities from outpost centers. In the cities, we are to have houses of worships as memorials. What's a memorial to God? Something that is, it's representative of God. People will look at. They're encouraged by. You know, Jesus said, John 17, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved 
that he said three times, do you love me? Every time Jesus said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And if he said, I love you, Lord, Jesus said what? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Why are we building a church? It's going to get burned when Jesus comes. The whole purpose is to feed the sheep. You realize that while I'm preaching now, we're worshiping together, this is going out via satellite and internet. I'll go satellite later, going internet live now. And thousands of people watch before the week is up. I was looking, it's probably not good for me to do this, but just last night out of curiosity, in preparation for the sermon, <laughs> I was looking over some of the messages last year. 200,000 people watch one message. Um, prayer meeting, we did a prayer meeting here. You know, we're going through Facebook. By the way, New Year, good time to think about prayer meeting. Some of us can't come because of our schedules and we understand that, but um, if you can, we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Come and pray. Going through Genesis right now, we're continuing in the new year and I happen to have the part about the sons of God and the daughters of men, which is a very controversial scripture. 150,000 people viewed a Bible study here on a Tuesday night. These, these messages are being multiplied. We're talking about feeding sheep and people finding salvation. That's what this is all about. This facility is unique in that it's not only a place for us to worship and be protected against the elements, but it's evangelism. And every one of you, by being part of it, in using your gifts, in your attendance, in your prayers, you're involved in globally feeding Jesus' sheep. You know, the Bible tells us, do not lay up treasures on earth where people... Thieves break through and steal. Moth and rust doth corrupt. But lay up for yourself treasures where? In heaven. Where thieves do not break through and steal and moth and rust does not corrupt. I've got a couple stories for you. Heard one story about a, uh, a very wealthy Christian woman. And eventually she's resurrected and she's in heaven. And the angel takes her over to the mansion that has been prepared. And there's a, a little but a very humble marble mansion. And she said, well, thank you, this is very nice, but you realize it's not even as big as what I had on earth. And she looks up on the hill and she sees this enormous, sprawling mansion. She said, I'm used to something a little more like that. Who's, who's that? Well, the angel said, well, you're going to be surprised to know, but uh, that's your gardener's mansion. <laughs> My gardener's mansion. How did he get that and I've got this? And the angel said, well, our records seem to indicate he sent more materials on ahead than you did. He made a, a bigger percentage of sacrifice than you did. You know, it's not the amount with God, it's the percentage of sacrifice in the heart. Somebody sent me a quote that went to, and I don't have the name of the person, it went to a paper in Christchurch, New Zealand, and uh, he, he commented, because the pastor announced he was talking about heaven, next week I understand you're going to talk about heaven. I'm very interested in that land because I've had a clear title to a bit of property there for over 55 years. I did not buy it. It was given me without money and without price. But the donor purchased it for me at a tremendous sacrifice. I'm not holding it for speculation since the title is not transferable. It is not a vacant lot. For more than half a century, I've been sending materials out on which the greatest architect and builder of the universe has been building a home for me which will never need to be remodeled or repaired because it will suit me perfectly, individually, and it will never grow old. 
Termites cannot undermine its foundation, for they rest on the rock of ages. Fire cannot destroy it. Floods cannot wash it away. No locks or bolts will ever be placed on the doors, for no vicious person can ever enter that land where my dwelling stands, now almost complete and almost ready for me to enter, and abide in peace eternally without fear of ever being evicted. That's a good attitude of an old saint that said, you know, I've been sending materials on ahead for many years. So, Jesus told Peter, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living of God, he said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And Christ said, on that truth that Peter declared, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, I have no illusions that God dwells in a building made by men's hands. Even Solomon, when he dedicated the earthly temple, and it was a beautiful temple, he said, what can we build that you can dwell in? The earth is your footstool. What we're really talking about is a place that is going to be proclaiming the kingdom, that's going to be helping save people for eternity. So we really are building with eternity in mind. Do you see what I'm saying? A sailor got washed up on a South Pacific island many years ago. Uh, his ship had sunk and wrecked and, and he came up on a piece of driftwood and as soon as the islanders saw him standing up on the beach, they ran down to the beach and he thought he was going to be killed. But instead, they hoisted him up on their shoulders and paraded him through the village celebrating. And it took him some time. They were coming and bringing him everything he needed and treating him like a king and, and waiting on his every need. And, and he thought, what's going on? It took a while, but eventually he kind of gathered some of the words and he figured out they had a custom that if a stranger arrived alone to the island, they were to be treated as king for a year. And he thought, wow, I, how could I ever be so fortunate? I thought I'd get washed up on one of these islands and be eaten by cannibals. Instead, they proclaimed me king. And eventually he lived with them and they, they gave him a wife and he had some servants and they'd do anything he said. But he learned the language well enough to ask. He said, now what happens after the year's over? Oh, said, you are forever banished to Bono Bono over there. <laughs> and he could look across the, the waters and he could see Bono Bono was uh, a kind of a, a desolate island. There's, you know, a few little scrub trees over there. said, what happens to the people banished? He said, they starved to death. There's nothing there. He said, oh, that's not good. He tried to find a loophole in the law and see if there's any way they could change rules. He said, no, that's, that's a taboo. Don't change that. You're king for a year, but after the year, bono bono. He started to think, and he got an idea. He says, I'm king. You're king. Whatever I say you do, we do. He said, all right, I want you to take some servants. I want you to canoe over to bono bono and dig a well. I said, okay. They went over. They dug a well. He said, now I want you to send another crew over there. I want you to start planting coconut trees and plant the... Uh, all of the, the guava and all the exotic tropical fruits we got on this island, I want you to plant over there and start watering them. I said, okay. Then he sent some of the builders on the island. He said, I want you to go over there. I want you to build a house. Not out of the grass stuff. He said, I want the volcanic stone. I want you to build me a nice house over there. And so you realize the point. For the rest of his time as king, he ordered them to build a virtual paradise on the other island. So when the time come for him to be banished, they were nice enough to send his wife with him. 
he went off to live in paradise because he had spent his time thinking ahead about the other place. Well, you're in a similar situation. Uh, you've got a limited time here. And if you think this is it, you're going to be very disappointed. This is not it. This is the time to prepare for where you will be forever. So, are you exhausting all your resources enjoying the here and now or are you sending materials on ahead? That's the question. Jesus said you really can build a kingdom. You, you can store treasure in heaven. Even that rich young ruler when he came to Jesus he said you'll have treasure in heaven but he didn't believe it and he walked away with all of his stuff and he was sad. Didn't even have happiness. You know, Jesus said I go to prepare a place for you. And I believe that we should be preparing a place for Him. First in our hearts, does He abide in your heart? But also in our community. Praise God we live in a country where we can build memorials to God, where we can proclaim the gospel around the world. You know it won't always be this way. We have opportunity now for evangelism that is unlike, it's unprecedented. And I am just dreaming of this place. It's been a vision on my heart for 20 years. I don't want to read something to you what I see as a great vision for this project. I'm dreaming of a place, a place where God will be worshipped the way He longs to be worshipped by His people with reverence, truth, and joy. I'm dreaming of a place where the Word of God is exalted, revered, and proclaimed as the consummate communication of God to man. A place where the leadership are people of integrity, fully committed to the Word of God and serving people. A place for training a young army of evangelists, preachers, missionaries, and Bible workers. A place that will launch them into the world with a three angels message burning in their hearts. I'm dreaming of a place that is a church for people across the street and around the world. A church where the Word of God is faithfully and fearlessly proclaimed through global television stations, international internet, and through satellites in space. I'm dreaming of a place where the highest quality holy music and sacred singing thrills, instructs, and inspires every listener towards godly living. A place that will positively portray the remnant church so nobody is ever ashamed to invite their neighbor. I'm dreaming of a place of fellowship where warm loving friendships are forged that will last a lifetime. A place where people will come to hear the law of God exalted to its rightful domain. A place where people who are weak and sick can come to hear the truth that will restore their health and strength. A place where hungry people are fed not only the best spiritual and physical food. A place for special convocations, presentations, and seminars that will equip the saints to serve humanity and to honor God. A safe place where children long to come to receive training for lives of serving Jesus. I'm dreaming of a place that will be a dependable arsenal of quality publications that Jesus can bless. I'm dreaming of a place where people will really see Jesus reflected in the words and the actions of His followers. A place that will be a constant light on a hill in an age of spiritual darkness and compromise. A place where people will learn to love Jesus so much they'll be willing to sacrifice all and follow Him a factory of faith, an epicenter of evangelism, a light on a hill, and a pulpit to the world. Help us build this place, a place to glorify God and a place for you. Jesus said, 
Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? If you do, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. That's what this is all about, friends. You are the temple of God, but we need sometimes practical buildings to help people learn the truth. Amen?